introduce you to our guest speaker today. To many of you, he, he's not a—he's kind of like a, not a guest anymore. He's—he's, he's, you know, a, a itinerant hillsider uh, who attends here three or four times a year and, and has taught classes for us too. David Wood um, is uh, associate pastor at Coquitlam Alliance Church. Uh, he's uh, a husband and father to three and uh, historian. He likes history. He's an all-around good guy. We've been friends for some time and cherish that relationship. And so we're really grateful today that he's here and he's going to share a good word with us, I'm sure. He said I stole all his thunder. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, the whole untangling thing, that was on his mind. Uh, yeah, changed everything during the, the, the break. Come on up here, Dave. Let's, uh, let's give him a warm welcome this morning. Thanks, man. Well, good morning, everyone, to the faithful remnant. Greetings. <laughs> Actually, I, I left at 8 o'clock this morning. Just saying, I got to get up that hill, so uh, I made it. We're saying there's just no easy way to get up this hill. There's no, it's, it's a hill, so you got to go up. So um, our theme this morning is peace, and it's the Christmas season. One more week before Christmas. I should probably start thinking about buying gifts at some point. Um, it's a time for peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's a magical time of year where people are slightly nicer to each other, except in the parking lot at Coquitlam Center. Um, it's a time of year where we feel the warmth of peace that comes with the season. We've Lit the uh, fourth Advent candle, and it's a candle of peace, symbolizing the Prince of Peace has come. And so let me ask you this question right from the get-go. Are you glad that the Prince of Peace has come? Yeah? Good. Well, it's interesting. We're going to look in the story in, in the book of Luke. We see that there's a lot of people who are glad. Well, there's lots of, you know, we, we see um, angels are glad. Uh, when they, they know the coming of the Messiah, they... They, they sing, or at least they, they speak to these um, shepherds and they tell the good news to the shepherds, and the shepherds are glad. They go to see this great event. They go back rejoicing to their flocks, to their sheep. We read that, uh, you know, Joseph and Mary, they're glad. And, and the guy that we're going to look at today is a guy named Simeon. And Simeon is glad about what has happened. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2. That's what we're going to be looking at, Luke chapter 2 this morning. Look at the story of Simeon. Luke chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 25. And it reads as follows. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents uh, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about, them, about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause a falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Lord Jesus, this is your word. You're a God who reveals. And so speak to us this morning. As Duran was saying, there's a longing that we have in our hearts that comes at this time of year. And it can be a painful longing. And our hearts are, are longing for the wonder and to know you and to be known by you. And so we pray that you would speak into our hearts this morning. So give us ears to hear and a heart to receive and then the courage to respond to whatever you say to us this morning. That is our desire. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in our story, in, in this passage that we read, uh, we, we know that on the eighth day after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to be circumcised. And when they arrive, it's interesting, when they arrive, what happens is they, they, they bump into this grizzled old man with bushy eyebrows and watery eyes. And this man, his name is Simeon. And apparently, this guy Simeon had been expecting them. What do we know about Simeon? Well, we're told that he's righteous and devout. We're told that he had spent his entire life waiting for the Messiah, for the Savior to come. We're told that this man is also filled with the very presence of God, with the Holy Spirit. And it had been revealed to him that God, uh, it had been revealed to him by God that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. And so Joseph and Mary come in, and they're bringing the baby Jesus. And they meet Simeon, and Simeon takes Jesus, the baby, into his hands. And at first it goes really well, because he says these amazing words, these words that are you know, quite famous in the history of the church, this uh, amazing prayer. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is a famous prayer. It's, a, it's a known in, in the history of the church as the nunc dimittis, which uh, refers to the words, now you dismiss. And these words are filled with hope and wonder. And these words are actually, if you look at them, are saturated with the words of, of the prophet Isaiah. They're echoes of the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before, is prophesying the coming of the Savior. And Simeon is echoing these words and these amazing words. Um, and, and, and it says, Mary and Joseph, they heard these words and they're like, wow. They marveled at, at what was said. And everything's going great. Then suddenly, a cloud goes across the sun. It gets dark. And Mary, she goes to take Jesus back, but Simeon holds on to Jesus. He's got something more to say. And Simeon says these words. And instead of speaking in words of hope, suddenly his voice changes. His eyebrows narrow. And he speaks in tones of warning. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he has something more to say. And holding Jesus in his hands, he says these words. He says, this child. He says it just like it. 
this child is caused to cause a falling and rising of many in Israel. He will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he points his bony finger at Mary. And he says, and a sword will pierce your soul. Right? Right now, if you're Mary at this stage of the game, how are you feeling? How would you feel? I mean, it's been going pretty good. I don't know. I'd, I'd say these words were not quite as comforting for Mary. Wouldn't you agree? These words about Jesus, I think if we take them to heart, put a little bit of the damper on the toasty feelings of peace and joy that we usually associate with Christmas. I mean, we like to talk about peace at Christmas, but my question is, is I wonder, I wonder if we really understand what this peace implies. I mean, on one hand, the peace process can be pretty difficult, can be pretty painful. In fact, you could say that peace is a little bit painful. For any of you who's ever gone to the dentist, you know this, right? Right? You go to the dentist, you're in pain, and they say, oh, all you need is a root canal. Right? Now, you don't want to do it, but you know you have to go through this pain for there to be any peace, right? Okay, now, but also think relationally. Think of uh, you're, you're in a relationship with your friend or with your spouse or with a family member, and something happens and there's, there's a bit of an argument, a bit of a split. Okay, so now your spouse, who's so close to you, she's next to you, but she feels millions of miles away because there's been an argument. And you know that the status quo, you cannot continue. Something needs to be done in order to reconcile, maybe with family, with friends, or with spouse. And to go through that process can be painful. Right? Guys? Yeah, okay. Just making sure. It can be very painful. And so on a basic level, peace can hurt. And I think, I think maybe this is what Simeon is getting at, that this long-expected Jesus, this long-expected Messiah, this Prince of Peace, for him to live out his, his mission in this world, his life and his ministry, will more likely provoke conflict and pain before peace can be attained. And I think this conflict expresses itself in two ways. This is all we're going to look at this morning. Two ways this conflict expresses itself. One, um, Jesus' peace will bring you into conflict with other people. That's the first thing. Jesus, and Jesus underlines this in, in Matthew chapter 10. He says, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a what? A sword. Yeah. And at this point, you're thinking, what kind of Christmas message is this? Swords and, you know, all this stuff. I'm ruining Christmas. But Jesus' life shows us that for there to be peace, there needs to be conflict. And his life and his ministry actually brings about quite a bit of conflict. Now, why? Why is it, what is it about Jesus that brings about conflict? Well, I think it has something to do with us as human beings. Um, the Bible says that our, our default uh, our heart's inclination is, is towards what the Bible calls sin. And sin is we do things that we shouldn't be doing or we don't do things that we should be doing. And in John chapter 3, it actually captures this quite well. It says, 
It says in John chapter 3, verse 19, it says, this is a verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear of being exposed. Light exposes the stuff that we want to keep secret. I, I get that. I get that. Now, on, on one level, um, much of my past in my before Christian days, um, I was doing things and I was up to things that I did not want exposed. Now, just on a, on, a, on a basic level, one of the things that I used to do, and I don't know why I did this, but a buddy and I, when we were in, in university, we, this is what we would do. And we, and we do it at night so that we wouldn't get caught. <laughs> kind of crazy. We would go out and we would climb buildings. I'm scared of heights, but we'd climb buildings. So my friend and I, and we weren't like, I was trying to make it sound innocent. It wasn't. But uh, we, would, we would climb up buildings and we'd sit on top of buildings and we'd just kind of hang out on top of buildings. And we'd shimmy up the side of a building. And we do this all the time. Now, invariably, well, I, I've, I've heard that, that you're not allowed to do that. And, <laughs> and invariably, we would get into a little bit of conflict with the security in the university. And so one time, I'm on top of this building. It's about a three-story building, so it's not super high. So we're on top of this building. We're just hanging out. I'm with my friend, and I see my friend suddenly go over the edge of the building. I'm going, man, where are you going? All of a sudden, zoom, all these lights come on me. Don't move! So I moved. Um, <laughs> I followed my friend over the edge of the building, hung, dropped down to the ground. I'm with my friend. We both stand there, and all of a sudden, don't move! We're surrounded. All these lights shining on us, and we had been exposed. And I remember from that point, and, and there's lots of other stories I could tell you, I just don't like light shining in my face. <laughs> um, because it, it reminds me that I'm up to something that I shouldn't be up to, right? But I also remember this, just not in, 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 a, in a real flashlight, but the, the way some people live their lives be in front of me also exposed some of the darkness in my heart. And I remember living... Um, in, in, in China, in the southwest part of China, and I was living in a place, and there were a lot of Christians, and I hated them. I just, and they didn't do anything wrong. That's probably why I hated them, right? Um, it's just the way they lived their life really brought to light the stuff that I was doing in my life, and I was up to a lot of no good. And just hanging out with them was, was a light that kind of shone and exposed the things that I was up to. And I get this passage in, in, in John chapter 3 um, that the light exposes the darkness, and the darkness hates it. And I remember that I hated the fact that all the stuff that I was doing was being exposed just by, by virtue of hanging around these Christians or being with these Christians around. And I think the point that I'm trying to make is simply this. Whenever you and I align ourselves with the Prince of Peace, you can expect some conflict. If you align yourself publicly with Jesus, you're going to be called all sorts of things, especially in our world today. 
I mean, some places in the world will cost you your life. But even here in the West, in Canada, I mean, you'll be called all sorts of, all sorts of things. You could be seen as intolerant. You may be called homophobic. And to overtly align yourself with Jesus may affect whether or not you keep work or find work. Okay? That's, I think that's just a reality of our world, an increasingly poignant reality. But Simeon sees this, right? Simeon sees this. He says, he says this Jesus will be what? He'll be a sign that will be spoken against. Right? He says this. And because there's things about Jesus that will always divide. Jesus says these things about himself. He says, um, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the truth, the life, and the way. He says, your life will only make sense when it's aligned to me. Okay, I said this last week. I was speaking to a grade 12 class in a public school. And I said this about Jesus. Well, man, it's like swear words, man. It's like, these are harsh words to say. But they're not my words. This, this is what God has revealed to us. That because Jesus is the archa and the telos, he's the beginning and the end, that means he's a grand architect. Your life, as you structure your life, will only work when it's aligned to the great architect. Jesus says, I am the telos. That means your destiny. Your, that means only when your life goes in the direction of, of Jesus Christ will your life work the way it ought to work, that it's, it's created to work. And to say that in our culture today is very difficult. It's very, very difficult. And some of you here this morning, you hear me say this inwardly, you bristle a little bit. And you say things like, you know, what do you mean my life will only make sense when it's connected to Jesus? I mean, I like Jesus, but I, 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 I don't need him. Nobody can tell me what to do. And I get that because that's what I used to say. See, Jesus will be a sign that will be spoken against. That's what Simeon's telling us. Simeon knew that the, this reality of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he'll be a source of conflict with others. He'll be a sign that will be opposed. But not only will he bring you into conflict with others, here's the second point. His peace will bring you into conflict within yourself. And old Simeon, he looks at Mary and he says, a sword will pierce your soul. And if you know the story of Jesus, and you know Mary's story, you know that, that that's what happens, right? When, when, when G Mary watches her son grow up to die on the cross, like to, to be arrested, to be beaten, to be tortured, to be nailed to a cross, and so Mary watches her, her, her son die. Now tell me, if you're a mom here, I mean, tell me that wouldn't be a sword to your heart. Absolutely. But there's things that Jesus does in his life that Mary also just has struggled to understand. And she wrestled with that. I mean, there's one time where, where Jesus is meeting with people and, and Mary's convinced that her son has lost his mind. And so she and her other children, they go to get him, right? 
and they go to get him and they send word. They're saying, you know, come on out. We're going to take you home. And, and Jesus says, who's outside? And they said, well, your mother and your brothers. And he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Except those who do the will of God. Now, when Mary hears that, tell me that wouldn't be a sword to her soul, right? Who is your mother? And I think the reality is that there's things that Jesus will say, and there's things that Jesus says and does that you and I will struggle to make sense of in our own lives. And there's things that Jesus is doing in our own lives and saying to us that you and I are going to struggle with. And at, at times, it's going to feel like we're fighting against Jesus. And there's other times where it's going to feel like we're fighting against ourselves. Because as old Simeon puts it, the coming of Jesus, one of the things he does, is he will uncover the thoughts of our hearts. He's going to reveal all that, right? And that's going to be a struggle. And I, I like, um, there's an old 19th century uh, pastor that uh, I'm sure you've all heard of. Um, I don't know. I, whenever I've, I've, I've introduced J.C. Rowell, maybe one person. Has anybody ever heard of J.C. Rowell? Huh? Yeah? All right. Anyone else? J.C. Rowell. He's worth reading. He's written a book uh, it's called Holiness. And he's, in his book, uh, Holiness, he has a chapter called The Fight. And this is what he says. I think it's really good. He says, the child of God has two great marks about him. He may be known by his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. And so he talks about those two things existing. And on one hand, when you and I give our lives to Jesus, you need to know you will experience peace. It's a peace that comes from having a new identity. It's a peace that comes from having a new mission, being in sync with the one who created you. That's all cool. But at the same time, when you and I come to, to know Jesus, it will provoke a whole new set of conflicts within us. Why? Because there's parts of us that do not want to do what the Prince of Peace wants us to do. Would you agree? I mean, when I came to faith as a young adult, on one hand, it was awesome because I was set free. I was no longer God of my own life because I make a lousy God. It was great, you know, to, to be aligned to the author of my life. That's all great. But it provoked all sorts of conflicts within me. Because I had ways of living, ways of speaking that now I'm realizing were not good ways of living, right? I can't climb buildings anymore, apparently. Um, you know, those sorts of things. And I remember just, just my language had to change. I was one of those people who, who, who was very creative with swear words. I can use them as verbs, as adjectives, as adverbs. I just, and I would, every sentence would usually have about two or three swear words in it. I wouldn't be angry, but that's just the way I spoke. And so when I became a Christian, just the way I dealt with people, the way I spoke, all of a sudden there's a tension. There's a conflict within myself because part of me wants to do my old way of doing things and part of me wants to... Now there's this new way of living that I'm invited into. I used to hate my enemies, and that seemed to be pretty logical. They're my enemies. What else are you supposed to do with your enemies? Hate them, right? But then now I'm reading, I'm supposed to love my enemies. And that provoked a bit of conflict within my heart. I, I mean, what am I to do here? And I, I love what J.C. Rowell says. He says this, he says, There are thousands of men and women 
who go to churches and chapels every Sunday, and they call themselves Christians. Their names are in the baptismal register. They're reckoned Christians while they live. They're married with Christian marriage license. They're buried as Christians when they die. But you never see any fight about their religion. Of spiritual strife and exertion and conflict and self-denial and watching and warring, they know literally nothing at all. Such Christianity is not the Christianity of the Bible. It's not the religion which the Lord Jesus founded and his apostles preached. True Christianity is a fight. And a lot of the fighting takes place right here and here, right? I mean, think about words. Think about some of the words that we use in, in, in the Christian faith. Think about the word repentance. I mean, is, is that not a swear word in our culture? Well, you just, I mean, nobody knows what the word repentance means in our culture. Repentance, from a Christian perspective, uh, means, you know, if I'm walking this way, it's a realization that if I keep going this way, it's going to end up in a place that's no good. It's, it's not the way of Jesus, and so repentance means, you know what? I'm not going to go that way. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus, right? Well, to do that, what do you have to do? You have to admit that you're wrong, that the way you thought was so right was actually wrong. And it's actually confessing, saying, you know what? I got it wrong. And to admit that you have something wrong, that is hard because it strikes hard at our pride that we have it all together. And so the Prince of Peace brings about repentance, which brings about conflict in our hearts. Think about the word submission. <laughs> Again, it's a swear word in our culture, right? Um, we live such independent lives that to submit to an authority, to someone other than ourselves and our own desires is extremely painful. I mean, you try to say, like, I, again, I, I teach, but once a semester I teach uh, grade 12s at uh, public school, and I talk about submission. <laughs> it's just like, what? Submission? What's submission? It's it's. It's saying, it's getting to the place where we say, you know what, my life is not my own, not my will, but yours be done. And it's hard, it's painful, but when we submit, we get to a deeper place of peace that we would have ever thought possible. Now, I may have shared this before, and, I, and forgive me if I have, but, um, but one of the clearest examples that I, I remember of, of, of this struggle and this peace was... Um, I had moved uh, from living overseas. I had moved to Vancouver. And when I came to, I'm from Ontario originally. Uh, hey, shout out for Ontario. <laughs> All the people love Ontario now live in the West Coast. Yay. <laughs> but we still cheer for the Leafs. Um, well, we understand suffering, right? <laughs> so where was I? Yes. I moved to the West Coast. And here's the thing. I moved to Vancouver. And I love Vancouver. I loved it. It was, it was awesome. Everything about Vancouver. And so I found a church. It was a great church. I was living in Vancouver, and I was pumped. And I loved Vancouver. I wanted to stay in Vancouver. The only problem was is somehow before I had come to Vancouver, I'd made a promise that I would move to Omaha. <laughs> right. Omaha, Nebraska. Right? So you got Vancouver and Omaha. 
And I said I was going to move to Omaha. Now, it got more complicated because in Vancouver, I met a girl and fell in love, and she's now my wife. And so I met this girl. I fell in love. So now I got Vancouver, mountains, right? Girl. <laughs> Omaha. <laughs> Corn. <laughs> I don't know what's in Omaha. And I'm like, I don't want to go to Omaha, right? Who goes to Omaha? And so I, I started making excuses. I wrote to the pastor I was supposed to be working with. I thought, I don't know if it's going to work out. You know, I, you know, I tried to, to weasel my way out of it because I did not want to go to Omaha. I really didn't want to go to Omaha. And, but then, there's, so there's a conflict in my heart. And so I came to the point where it's like, you know what? I said I was going to go. And, and, and God convicted me on this. He says, look, you said you're going to go. <laughs> you got to stick to your word. This new way of living, apparently you have to stick to your word, right? Um, and so I'm like, all right. Not my will, but yours be done. I'll go to stupid Omaha. <laughs> right? And I went there. But here's the thing. I went there, and it's not like when I got there, it's like, oh, this is awesome. I still hated it. <laughs> right? And I still wanted to come back to Vancouver, but in time, believe it or not, I grew to love Omaha. And I actually entered into a place of peace that I would never have thought possible. Now, it was a process, and there was conflict along the way. But that's, you know, that comes out of this old-fashioned word, submission. Now, one more word from the Christian lexicon, discipline. How's that for a swear word? Um, and it's a recognition that to grow into the men and women we were meant to be requires effort. Transformation doesn't just happen. Okay, now it's a work of the Spirit within us, but we have to lean in as well. And I, I remember uh, I had a friend of mine back at, um, at Regent College, and he was single at the time. And um, as, a, as a single man, he made a decision that he was going to live a life that honored God with his body. And so he wasn't going to sleep around. He wasn't going to do anything like that. He, he wanted to, to remain chaste, <laughs> another swear word. Um, he wanted to, to, to just honor God with his body. And so, um, so that's what he decided to do. And some people said, really? You're not going to sleep around? He goes, no, I'm not going to sleep around. And then one woman said to him, comes up to him, and she kind of got into his grill a little bit. She goes, oh, you Christians, you're so repressed, right? You're so repressed. And I love my friend's response. He goes, you're darn right I'm repressed. He goes, you better hope I'm repressed. He goes, if I acted out on every feeling that went through my heart, do you know the kind of damage I can do in this world? If I was to live out every inclination of my heart, do you know the kind of damage I could do to people? Yes, I'm repressed. You better hope I'm repressed. That's part of the discipline of the Christian life because my body is not my own. It belongs to God. And I'll never forget that. It's such a, it was such a brilliant answer, I thought. <laughs> now, Simeon reminds Mary, and I think he reminds us this morning, that the way to peace is through conflict. A sword will pierce your soul. That's why I think it's dangerous for us to tell people that when they become a follower of Jesus Christ, everything's going to be easier right? Now, on one level, 
when you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, everything will be much better. You and I will enter into a living relationship with the one who created us, who loves us, who knows us better than we know ourselves, but it's not going to be easier. We'll experience peace, yes, but there will be conflict, and conflict with others, and you're going to feel in conflict within your heart. Because this peace is costly. It's a costly peace. Now, every Christmas, even if you've never read it, you've seen Charlie Brown's Christmas, there's that famous line where Linus walks out and he quotes the, from the book of Luke. He says, unto you in this day, in the city of David, a Savior is born. He is Christ the Lord, right? And we often use at this time of year, we talk about a Savior. You know, Savior is born on Christmas Day. Do you ever think about the word Savior? Savior implies that you and I need to be saved, that we're in mortal danger, that we need to be rescued. We talk about the Prince of Peace, but do you ever realize that for there to be peace, <laughs> the reason why the Prince of Peace comes is because you and I are at war with God. And so this Savior comes to rescue us. And when he comes, it's costly. It's a costly peace. It costs Jesus his life, dies on the cross. It's a peace that deals with our sins, all the things that lie in our heart, all the darkness that separate us from each other, from God. It's a costly peace that reconciles us with God and with each other. And Simeon sees this coming. He says that this Jesus, yes, there will be conflict. And for you and I this morning, our gateway into peace is through the one who is destined to cause the rising and falling of many, who will be a sign that will be spoken against, and who reveals the thoughts of our hearts. But this Jesus, he offers us a peace unlike anything that the world has to offer. Now, in the world, what is peace? How, how would peace be defined? Absence of conflict. Exactly. It's the absence of conflict. But what Jesus says, he says, the peace I leave to you, I do not give to you as the world gives. The peace I give to you is different. In our world, peace is, 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 is there's no conflict, right? And to put it differently, um, in our world today, peace is, is, is tolerance. Now, tolerance in its original meaning is, is, is awesome. It means, you know, remind me your name again. Mackie. So, Mackie, you got your opinion. I got my opinion. I respect your opinion, even though we disagree and you respect mine. And we can hash it out. We can, that's what tolerance really is, and that's awesome. But tolerance is like, I hear your opinion, and I have to say, yes, you're right, even though it's completely opposite to mine. And that way, we're not going to be in conflict. But we're both saying different things. And the problem in the world is, is that peace is understood. Um, th there's no truth. And so you, you and I can pretend that there's no conflict, but if there's no truth, it's, it's a facade. And the peace that Jesus offers us isn't some ceasefire, but it cuts to the heart. It's a peace that speaks the truth in love. It forgives and calls us to forgive. It's, it transforms and transforms us. It reconciles and calls us to be agents of reconciliation. So the way of peace is a way through the cross. And our, our way of entering that peace is to die, to die to ourselves. C.S. Lewis puts it so well, as he always does. He says, die before you die. 
There's no other way. And I know that this is hard teaching this morning. Conflict and peace going together. But that's the thing about Jesus. The J word will always get you into trouble. And, and we know this because in Scripture, he's, he's the Prince of Peace, but he's also what? He's the Scandalon, which means stumbling block. And you can talk about God, you can talk about higher power, you can talk about all those things, and you'd be okay for the most part. But you mentioned the J word. You're going to be in trouble. It'll provoke conflict between you and others, and even within your own heart. And some of you here this morning might be thinking, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> I don't need this kind of conflict in my life. And, you know, I think I'll live my life without the scandal on. Thank you very, very much. And here's the thing. I just want to leave this with you. You can choose to live your life apart from Jesus. And again, C.S. Lewis says, he goes, there comes a point where God will say to us, all right, thy will be done. If that's what you want, you want to live your life apart from Jesus, go for it. But here's the thing. If Jesus is the author of life, then you're choosing to live a life, a direction away from life. And so we should never be surprised when we try to live our lives independently of Jesus, our lives will not work the way they're meant to work. Right? Only when our lives are aligned to the author of life will they work. Jesus is our life. And I love the disciples one time, and Jesus says, are you going to leave me? And one time the disciples actually get it right. They're like, where are we going to go? <laughs> You're, you're the author of life. You're the author. You know, we believe in and come to know you're the Holy One of God. There's nowhere to go. He is our life. He is our peace. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our life. You are peace. Our bodies are not our own, but they belong to you. And our lives will only be the lives that we were created and redeemed to live when they're aligned to you. And so we come before you this morning and we repent, we submit, we pray that we would discipline and walk with you because you love us and you desire for us to live. And we know that following you will create conflict with others at times. Help us to be winsome, to be loving, but also to be realistic, to know that, uh, Jesus, you always are the scandal on and we admit that there's, there's struggles within our hearts, that sometimes you're calling us one way, but we'd rather go another way. And so we say to you, as an act of faith, that we are desirous to walk with you. And so by your Holy Spirit, by your very presence who lives within us, orient our hearts to follow you. That's all we can offer. And so we commit our lives to you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.